As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing, mm-hmm. Big Jed, it's good to see you, sir. Luke, it's good to see you as well. It's uh, good to have you back. I'm you know, back. We, we went Lukeless uh, last week, and we don't like doing that. You're our, you're our, the show's founder. You're the the guy that's the smartest person on the show with the, the most good stuff to talk about. So we need you. And we are happy to have you back. Uh, I, I, I muddled my way through it last week, but uh, there's no show like a show full of, of Luke Bogacki. So I don't back, know the, the feedback that we've got. It might have been our best show to date. <laughs> no, no, I think I've somewhere in there. I, I had a kind of a begging tone to, to beg people just to, man, hey, just say something good. And I think a couple people reached out to say something good because of that. But that's pretty much it. I begged for that. Shameless. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was very shameless. Uh, we've got a we've got a good show for you today. We've got uh, I'm going to nerd out on, on some NHRA stuff. Um, points situations are, are becoming a little bit more clear in several categories after the national event in Seattle, double divisional in Topeka. We've got some IHRA drama. I think that might uh, that might be a continuous theme for quite a while now. So we'll give you what we know or, or what we think, at least up to this point. A little bit of bracket action uh, across the country, not much. And this, this show is going to be NHRA heavy. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit of uh, Linda Anders in Carterville, Illinois. 
No, actually we won't. But if you want to be in on the joke at the end, Google that one. Get the Googler out. For that. <laughs> I hope that was her name. <laughs> I hope it was too. All that and much more. But first, PJ North. Big Jed, we are NHRA heavy this week. I'm going to nerd out. But before I do, before the listener completely tunes out, let's talk about the little bit of non-NHRA news that we have at our fingertips. Yeah, Luke, uh, very little of that. It's mostly NHRA, and uh, and you're a big part of that discussion as well. Uh, not necessarily all off the track, a lot of on the track, but got a little cleanup from last week. As uh, as you know, uh, you had to, you had some unfortunate circumstances last week, and that just derailed you from being able to participate in the show. And um, I did it solo. Well, I was really proud of myself, Luke. I, I just went, you know, through the show notes and I had some good discussion with just me and producer Mark came in and offered some great discussion. It was, it was a really good, uh, really good show, you know, as good as we could do without our captain. But um, I, I messed up right at the end. I guess I got tired of hearing myself talk. I forgot to talk about a couple of hot drivers from the from the weekend prior to that recording. One was Andy Schmall. Um, Good Andy, at racing. We established that on the show. Andy's pretty, uh, you know, decent. And uh, and he had another big win at the the Triple Seven event at um, at Earlville. Um, really looked like a great show that they had there. And Andy collected one of those 7,000 or 77, 77, whatever it was paydays, but big deal, maybe just seven grander, just a seven grander, my apologies. But, um, you know, that guy just continues to get it done. He's incredible. He really is. Um, um, had, uh, I think he had two in at three on the no box side and managed to get the win with one of those and then go on and finish the deal on that particular day. So, Congrats to Andy. I uh, hate that. Uh, didn't mean to uh, slight him any. I just forgot it was deep in the show notes and I, I let it slip by me. And then John Dean Piazza. John D. Piazza is a buddy of ours, uh, a guy that has uh, been to your summer door car shootout uh, quite a few times and brother of Andrew. And John took the, the family buggy and uh, got it done himself with a seven grand win. I think John had just come off of a 10 grand runner up. Uh, very recently uh, surrounding that triple seven race. So big deal for John. Great to see him get it done. That's a, that's a good dude. And uh, I think Andrew had a little trouble with the car, maybe on Sunday, John let him get in the family buggy. And unfortunately for Andrew had a little on track incident and, uh, and scuffed the, the Corvette roadster up some. Uh, It didn't look to be terrible. Easy for me to say, I don't have to pay to fix it. But uh, Andrew was safe. The car did its job and kept him safe. And John has posted it's repairable and everything's going to be fine. So uh, definitely thoughts and prayers out to Andrew. Glad to see that he escaped with no injury and that it's only some uh, cosmetics that needs to be fixed. And those guys will be back up and going again soon. So just a little cleanup work from last week's show. Uh, little cleanup. Some- I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up on, on the Piazza because outside of northern illinois iowa wisconsin region like not a name that that 
our listeners may be familiar with, that dude has been on fire this year. I mean, between Byron and those, uh, those big races in, in Iowa, that, that whole region, it seems like every time that John, John T. Piazza goes to the racetrack, he is down to the semis or further. Um, between Byron, uh, there was the 10 Granders at Morocco there up at US 41. Uh, he, I don't think he races every weekend, but when he goes, he is uh, basically the, the last door car standing or the last box car standing. He's had an incredible season. Uh, hopefully that doesn't get derailed too much by this incident. But to your point, it didn't look like it was too awful serious. And it looks like that Corvette will be back on the track soon. Yep, that's the way it looked, and you're right about John. The DPIs have excellent equipment, and they're great drivers, and uh, just a just a good group all the way around. So pulling for them. Glad to see them doing well. Glad to see John doing well. Andrew is a really good dude, and uh, I see that he's on your entry list for the Summer Door Car Shootout. So hopefully, he's got his car straightened out, and he'll bring that really cool Camaro out there and do what he normally does at I-57 and turn on a lot of wind lights. So the big news or, or the bulk of our show will be centered around the, the NHRA tour, but national event in uh, Seattle, double divisional in Topeka. But before we get to that, we had a couple of bracket, big dollar bracket racing and I guess non-NHRA notes in general. We had 15 granders up at producer Mark's neck, the woods up at Keystone. We had a big bottom ball brace up at Michigan. What stood out to you, Big Jed, from the results from those events before we transition into the National Hot Rod Association? Uh, the really only thing that stood out to me, Luke, is uh, no matter where the, the the bottom ball brace and top ball brace is going on, when folks like Matt Dadis and Chris Bear and Charlie Lockhart and Jordan Wilhelm show up, they are a factor. Um, those Those guys just seemed to always be right in the middle. Matt Dadis had an incredible season, uh, did not get the win at Keystone. Uh, that was a Canadian that got the win over him in that 15K final, and which was Casey Kovacs. And uh, then Chris Bear didn't get the win. He was runner-up in the next 15K to uh, Ken Ryan, a local racer there to the, to the Pittsburgh area. But you know, those guys are always factors. Like anytime you make the final round, you've had a great day at the racetrack and they're just always uh, right in the path to the winner's circle. And you do have to go through them. Fortunately for Casey Kovacs, and Ken Ryan, they were able to do that in the final rounds. And, you know, then you, you transfer up to Michigan where the, the bottom ball race was and Charlie Lockhart wins their, their biggest day, the 10 K at us 131. First time he ever visits the racetrack and uh, the, the 5Ks on Friday and Sunday were won by Stephen Call and Jordan Wilhelm, respectively. So, um, again, Jordan and Charlie, no offense to Stephen, I'm not as familiar with him, but Jordan and Charlie always, again, right in the path to the winner's circle and guys that you got to get, you know, make great laps on to get around to, to make your way to the winner's circle. And both of them found the final round and the winner's circle at uh, US 131's bottom ball bash, which looked like a really good event there as well. So, so that's kind of what stood out to me, Luke. Anything outside of that for you? I'll just piggyback a little bit on on Matt Dadis. Like, I don't know how deep you got into the the Twin Fifties um, at St. Louis on last week's show. I, I didn't get an opportunity to listen. I was busy laying underneath the motorhome. Um, oh, really? You had some trouble? Covered head to toe. <laughs> I threw two t-shirts in the trash, Jed. Just threw them away. <laughs> That's Miserable. bad. Motorhomes are stupid. Um, 
but t- that weekend, the the Twin Fifties at Gateway, um, he didn't win, similar to to Keystone. But Matt Dadis, Matt Dadis, and Josh Lutke were the the MVPs of that event. Neither of them won. Lutke was a runner up in one fifty grander semi. The other, um, the the fifty grander that Josh Lutke did not runner up. Matt Dadis runnered up, and on the weekend, Dadis was he was down to seven cars remaining when they split the the mulligan race that went 82 rounds like three in the morning he was still in the next day he runnered up to 50 the next day he was late in the 50 maybe eight cars and then the last 10 grander he lost at like 12 i mean he just he made more laps than anybody um you know in his in his six second door car and just the way that he goes about his business makes incredible runs difficult to to top at any point and just the consistency to do it over and over because we talked about this before like it's one thing to let go double o three times in a row on runs three four five six it's a different deal to do it on runs like 37 38 39 and that's what matt was up to and he just kept letting go like and kept driving the finish line it's just it's impressive to watch because it seems like a week in week out thing uh, and again back to back big events back to back final rounds short of the main prize at, at both but um, no, Matt Dadis is putting together, I, I think, similar in some respects to Corey Galletti and that it's been a little bit under the radar. I know Matt did win a, a 50 grander. Corey won a 50 grander as well. Uh, but they don't seem to be the names that are off, rolling off the tip of our tongues. Um, but just solid week in, week out, putting up stellar performances and winning a fair amount of money. Yeah, well said. Uh, both of those guys that you mentioned there late have had incredible seasons. Matt Dadis has. And I, I, uh, labeled Corey Gulitti last week, Luke on the show is is probably having the best season, not necessarily in terms of dollars won, but final rounds on a, a significant stage. And um, you know, I guess his final round record at that too, I think has been very impressive. So uh, Corey Gulitti, I think is having uh, probably the best season thus far in terms of wins and uh, Matt Dadis probably not very far behind him so really good stuff on those two drivers luke real quick before you nerd out and we start talking about nhra competition uh, i discussed it a little bit on the show last week gave some thoughts about the ihra situation this drama continues i, know <laughs> we, I that think you know we're this. gonna i think this is gonna be a, a topic like for the rest of the year um yeah, I, I'm curious. So. You can bring me up to speed, Big J, because I think I'm a little bit out on left field. The only thing I've seen is a press release saying that Larry Jeffers is in the process of buying IHRA. But we knew that. And the press release didn't really tell me anything. So what's up? Well, the 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 deal is not necessarily finalized. The sale's not a sale till the money's in the bank. Um, and the money's not in the bank. My understanding is there's possibly some uh, concern on Larry Jeffers and his team's part that this leadership team from the IHRA that quit and went to do their own thing, they have gained some traction with with a quite a lot of racetracks that were IHRA member facilities. And maybe, uh, not maybe, there was a non-compete clause signed by some of the leaders in IHRA, and they are in breach of that by participating in the IDRA, uh, not only the, the, the building of it, but trying to gain members 
from the IHRA member tracks. Uh, they have been sent a cease and desist letter. That group of leaders, or at least everybody that signed a non-compete, my understanding is maybe not everyone has signed a non-compete that were division directors and important members of the, the uh, sanctioning body, but those that did sign the non-compete have been sent a cease and desist letter. And I'm not real sure how that impacts how the IDRA moves forward, but IRG is um, basically threatening legal action. And Larry Jeffers, maybe in his team, are concerned that what they bought or what Larry bought in principle uh, is not whole at this point and it doesn't give him the best chance to be successful because of that large number of tracks that have uh, for lack of a better word defected and decided to go IDRA so it's going to be very interesting to see the the legal portion of this and how that plays out it's going to be interesting to see if those members that signed the non-compete clause will attempt to work behind the scenes. I, you know, there's big sponsors involved, Luke, and money that goes along with that. So, you know, to, to us, I don't compete in IHRA stuff. Uh, you primarily run in HRA in brackets. So to us, we might not feel the impact, but there are a lot of racers that are going to be pulled in different directions here over this situation and uh, it, it's there's still a lot of things to be uh, discussed and a lot of things that are come across the table that have to be ironed out I think for Jeffers to complete the sale number one and I think the bridge is burned with the leadership team that left that was trying to build the IDRA so you know, this, this thing still got a lot of moving parts and, uh, and a lot of possibility to, to get much worse before it gets much better. Interesting. Now the, the, the vibe that I got a couple of weeks ago from the racers and the, the track managers, if you will, that I spoke with was that of the, the hope was that the powers that be at, at IHRA slash IRG would basically just acquiesce and and wash their hands of this like okay we 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 ring we wrung every ounce of of profit out of this that we could all that's left is this little membership we don't want anything to do with if these guys want to take off and run with it then so be it obviously they're not going to go that quietly so or it's all indications are to this point that that's not the case so yes um Interesting. I, I think we'll, like I said, I, I think we'll be talking about this for a while. Since it seems to be some some drama behind us, some drama yet to go. Yeah, it does seem that way for sure. All right, let's go back on the racetrack. NHRA. The Western yeah. Swing's over. Like I, I missed it. Like I feel, <laughs> I feel like it just poof, gone. Done. The Western uh, Swing doesn't seem to last as long as it used to, Luke. Nothing seems to last as long as it used to. Is that because? <laughs> I'm in my forties or is that like everyone, right? The answer to that is yes. Yes. Okay. Well, so <laughs> Seattle's over, uh, which means that Sonoma and Denver are over too. And yeah, I kind of missed all of it. Tom Bayer basically swept the Western swing. Nobody really makes the whole Western swing anymore. We, you know, like we, we used to talk about the Western swing as Denver to Sonoma to Seattle. Nobody goes to Denver anymore, right? Or the, the people that go to Denver don't go to, Se to Sonoma and Seattle. 
Tom Bayer won everything on the Western swing that he went to. One Sonoma, one Seattle, basically swept top dragster on the back-to-back uh, and actually vaulted into the national points lead in top dragster. I, unless he really shows out divisionally the rest of the way, I don't think that's something that's going to hold up. He doesn't really have a, a national championship type score, but he's the leader right now and you can't do better than he's done the last two weeks. So congrats to uh, to Tom Bayer really putting together. We talked about Tom earlier in the season um, for his bracket racing success, putting together a really memorable season out West. Yeah, I talked about him a little bit last week, obviously, from his uh, victor, victory prior to this one. And, uh, you know, it, that was his eighth national event win, as I reported. Uh, I think, obviously, this will be his ninth. And Yeah, that was old news. You know, he's he's a legend in the He's a legend in the sport. I mean, Tom really is. He's, he's done this for decades at a high level and has had to change a lot with the times from the beginning of his uh, racing to to where he is now so it just shows a, a lot of um, versatility on his part and a, a lot of willingness to to stay with the times and obviously he still drives really good so great job by Tom. Tom Bayer swept the western swing Jody Lang also swept the quote unquote western swing wins in Sonoma and Seattle he did it in opposite categories this year stock win in seattle follows the super stock win in in sonoma and i believe for mr lang that was 32 national event wins that sound right uh that does sound sound like that's 32nd yes i do believe that is correct luke yeah you don't sound very confident it was 31 last week it was 31 last week yeah you crushed it 32 bam kyle rizzoli two runner-ups on the swing back-to-back sonoma and seattle both in super stock in Seattle, Randy Sides got his first national event win, won the super gas category. Uh, the reason I bring that up, shouts to Charlie Stewart. Charlie Stewart race cars swept the weekend between my wins in Topeka, Randy Sides win in Seattle. Every NHRA super gas event of the weekend was won by a Charlie Stewart race cars race car, which is fitting because I might be biased, but I think Charlie makes the best super gas car in the country. So congrats to Randy Sides. Congrats to Charlie Stewart. Yeah, congrats to all of those guys. Real quick before I, I get the next congrats out, um, Rizzoli appeared, his car appeared to lay over or something uh, in that final round. Any idea what, what happened there? I, he he looked like he was in the game, and then it laid down probably a little past half track. I do not have any further insight on that. Okay, not that that matters. I was just wondering. I was just curious. But um, Charlie Stewart race cars won the, the Super Gas races – pretty much all over the place. Um, I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but man, you had a, you had a great day at the racetrack. And I know that you give a lot of credit to the Charlie Stewart or great couple of days at the racetrack. You give a lot of credit to the Charlie Stewart hot rod that you drive. And it is incredible. I've watched it go for eighties and, you know, on a 40 degree racetrack. And when people were struggling stuff that you're not supposed to be able to do, but you know, you drive that hot rod really well, but Luke, you, you said you truly believe that Charlie makes the best, um, car for, for the type of racing that you do. What is it about that car that is, you know, his cars, what is it about? And so incredible. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a roadster and no offense. I mean, there's a bunch of them out there. Why does that car go down the freaking racetrack so well, so fast? It's a, it's essentially a, a top sportsman car without a roof. Um, you see the, the majority of, 
roadsters, you know, topless super gas style cars were, were the, that the, the, the basic roadster design comes from four decades ago. And at that time we didn't have a ton of horsepower and it was a struggle. We didn't have led bulbs and it was a struggle to get a light. So cars that were purpose built for super gas typically had the motor very high, very far back. They were built to basically wheelie. They were built to pop up out of the beams in an effort to get a light. Charlie's cars come from a completely different perspective because the first roadster that Charlie Stewart ever built was designed for Charlie himself to drive in competition eliminator. They went fast, right? Mid seven second car. So it's built with the motor low, the motor further forward. It's, it's set up more like a top sportsman car. Um, and I think since Nathan Martin joined Charlie, like they've done nothing but improve the make make incremental adjustments to improve the design the back end's beefed up more like it's just a really good car to run wide open and and if you have a really good really fast bracket door car i don't think it's a stretch to think you could make it into a good super gas car i think it's difficult to go the other direction you know take a a purpose-built super gas car and make it a really good you know bracket car wide open um but but charlie's cars fit the bill for both and there i i, I don't mean to to set him and Charlie Stewart race cars on a, on a pedestal. Obviously I'm biased. There are other very quality, you know, door car slash roadster chassis builders out there. Um, but Charlie's really got a handle on what he does. Like he, he builds really quality equipment. Uh, I've had three of them and each one a little bit better than the last, but, and he's, he's really, he's got it figured out. Yeah. I'd say that uh, definitely is the case. And that does make sense the way you, you discuss the design and, and the, you know, the type of car that it's, built off of but there's no way if i were in the market and again we're not trying to sell chassis for anybody here but if i were in the market there's no way i could watch your car do what it does and not want to go get me one of those i'm sure you've got a piece in that and how you set it up and uh, your your adjustments that you make but man that thing is incredible and obviously it's not only good for you but it's good for his other customers as well so just uh, I hated to get off rail there, but I don't know that that thing is just so impressive to watch. I, I just had to know more. There you go, Charlie. Bills in the mail. Um, <laughs> Randy Sides, first uh, NHRA national event win. He was a super gas winner. Another young man that going to his first NHRA national event over the weekend in Seattle was young Dylan Haug. Dylan and his father Brian nearly pulled off the double. I believe Brian was a runner up in Top Alcohol Funny Car. Dylan got the win in Supercomp, his first national event wins. When uh, and he knocked off one Jim Glenn, another West Coast racer that we've talked a lot about already in 2022. Jim Glenn now moves uh, further. I believe he was already leading the Super Comp National Point standings. He moves further into the lead on the strength of a near perfect national event score. You only get to claim three national events, Big Jed. Jim Glenn has been to three national event finals. He won Pomona to start the year, runner up in Phoenix, now runner up in Seattle. Now, as I mentioned, the wind moves him into the lead. Um, but what he has now, 548 points, is not not going to win the world championship. I don't think. Like, there's a lot of parity in super, super Comp. I would be shocked if 548 actually held up. Given the fact that there's not much room for him to improve on the national event side, his season really comes down to his final two divisional events. And there's room to improve, right? I believe that he is improving a second-round loss and a third-round loss. But with two races to go, I would say, I think it's fair to say that Jim Glenn needs to win one of those two races 
at minimum, or at the very least go really deep in both of them. Like he's got 548 points now, minimum 600 to win the world, probably something around 620 plus. So there's work left to do. And the field behind Jim Glenn at this point, like there's not any one um, box score, or if you will, that, that stands out in terms of uh, points accumulated to this point versus races left. But the depth of talent behind Jim Glenn, we've talked about this at, uh, on a couple of occasions. The depth of talent in Supercomp is incredible. Like um, in this jumble of racers that, that have, you know, a, a foundation, if you will, a, a, a score that could accumulate to, to surpass Jim Glenn, to, to put up a typically, uh, a number that would typically win the world championship. Somebody's going to have to get hot. But when you list off the racers, John LaBoost Jr., Michael Holcomb, Devin Eisenhower, Mike Rabolato, Blake Allen, Ryan Harum, Lee Ream, Michael Hondras, Ray Ray Miller, Christopher Dodd, Sherman Adcock, like there's more, right? So when I say somebody's going to have to get hot, there's a pretty good chance one or more of those racers get hot and somebody's going to emerge from that bunch. So Jim Glenn putting together a great score, but he's going to have to do something at those last two, something pretty measurable at his last two points meets. I don't know where those will be. I don't know where he's headed, but if, if his dream season is going to, to end with the, the dream finish of a world championship, I think there's work yet to be done. Yeah, obviously he's performing well, Luke. Um, you know, you mentioned that, especially in the national event on the national event stage, but my goodness, you look at that group of racers, as you said, somebody will get hot and the likelihood of it being more than one of those is pretty darn good. So that, you know, that's a daunting challenge, daunting task for, for Glenn to continue the pace he's on and battle this group of racers. Uh, you know, these, these guys got great equipment. They're talented. They're going to give themselves good opportunities to, to turn on wind lights. So, as always, the super comp battle is going to be uh, super fun to watch and listen to you nerd out as this thing gets closer and closer to being decided. Um, looking forward to seeing who emerges out of this group. And, you know, every once in a while, this time of year, somebody off the, the radar kind of will kind of get after it a little bit and uh, put themselves in the middle. So we'll, we'll see who that's going to be as well if that happens. Especially in a, in a category with so much parity where so many excellent racers are grouped together. Like this can change quickly, you know, and, and with the, so many double divisionals, you know, somebody gets hot one weekend, um, that could go from off the radar to in the lead. Right. And it's just, uh, I, I have a feeling, I have a sense, obviously anything could happen. I have a sense. We're going to get to a show in late October and I'm going to spend two hours talking about the super comp possibilities. Just, it's going to be the super comp championship show. There's a, there's a hundred racers with a mathematical shot here. I'm going to break it down. We're going to lose everybody within five minutes, but man, I'm going to have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. That might be you and McKenna that, that does that show. But uh, this, uh, th again, it's going to be a great time to watch it all play out. And uh, for, for the listeners that don't understand this category, just real quickly, uh, I know everybody's not in tune to this, but first round is random. You just pull in the lanes first round and get who you get. You know, you think these are qualified fields and they are after your first round is done. You qualify based on how close you run to the index and then it's paired from there. So you have a little bit of control first round to make sure 
you know, you don't get chased or you can chase. And there's things that happen while people are, are headed to the lanes and headed in the lanes. But after that, it's out of your control. You just race who you race and whoever's on the ladder. So these things, um, you know, can get determined with some pointed efforts early in the race. But if you don't get control of that in round number one and pair who you need to pair and get them eliminated, then you just have to hope for the best. So that's what makes it so interesting is, is the difference in first round and all the other rounds in this category and any other 90 category, they're all like that. So this it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, no, to your point, the, the 90 categories first round is like your average East coast bracket race. Like you basically just race who you pull up beside. Right. So there is some opportunity to, um, to hunt, you know, uh, um, um, a points leader or something like that, right? Chase them down. After that, um, you go on a ladder for round two based on your ET in round one. So if you can process that for a minute, if you're not familiar with the superclasses, it's essentially impossible to manipulate the ladder because you have to win round one, right? <laughs> that That's priority number one to turn on the win <laughs> That light. does help. <laughs> and then what you run is obviously plays into whether or not you win that round and the the ability to actually like manipulate that et while winning the round to position yourself on a ladder it's basically non-existent i mean the only thing that you can do is if an opponent is red you try to go 90 so that you could potentially get a buy run somewhere along the way beyond that you have zero control over who you're going to pair next for the remainder of the race not just round two but on through right so Yeah, it does. It's an, it's a kind of unique wrinkle to that form of racing to where you've outside of round one, you have very, very little control over who you're going to hook next or who's going to hook you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's, again, that's what creates so much interest in this category because late in the year, you will see some people trying to help block and chase and hunt. And some people are trying to avoid being hunted and chased and blocked and, uh, that's it's a lot of fun to see how all that works out. I will never forget uh, what what would the year be here? This was like 2012, maybe. I go to the final division race of the year in Las Vegas. I have an outside long shot chance to win the Super Comp Championship. Al Kenny was leading uh, the late and ended up ultimately winning the championship. The late Stefan Condelay. And myself were the the two racers. I think the only two racers that had a shot to to catch Al. And Al needed to lose early. And Stefan had a more realistic shot, if I remember correctly. He maybe had to make fifth, sixth round or something like that if Al lost early. And I believe I had to win the race if Al lost first round. So Stefan and I, obviously, we we want to take matters into our own hands. We're going to try to run Al Kenny in round one. That's the only time that you have an opportunity to do this, right? Well, Al is obviously wise to this as well and would prefer to avoid that. Or at the very least, you know, like best case scenario is he wins, we lose, right? So what progressed is like the wildest sequence of events I've ever seen in driving to the staging lanes. Because I was parked somewhere where Al Kenny had to drive basically by my trailer to get to the staging lane. So I'm in a great position. Like I don't have to, I don't have to let it be known that I'm chasing him, right? Well, I didn't have to worry about that because an hour before they called first round, Stefan Condelay pulled to my trailer. He's like, we're going to sit right here and we're going to get him. Okay. (laughs) Well, 
again, the Kennys wise up to this. So they come to the lanes in formation. It's Jason, Al, Samantha, nose to tail. And when I say nose to tail, I mean like nose to slick (laughs) at a good 40 mile an hour. There is no, you're not going to get between them, period. So they are then going to stack into back to back to back the shorter lane in an effort to not run myself or Stefan. And the odds are like we should miss and we may have to run one of the family so they can block for Al. And okay. Stefan tried his best to disrupt that formation. And I thought we were going to have a by God like pit accident. But they didn't waver a bit. They, it was the funniest thing ever. I kind of sat back and was like, this isn't that important to me. Like, I'll just race whoever. <laughs> and, and none of us hooked one another. I don't, somehow or another, we all missed. But it was it was entertaining driving to the lanes. So I'll say I'll never forget that. <laughs> good stuff. Real good stuff. Right, back to the Western Swing and points implications from it. Ryan McClanahan's Western Swing was excellent. Like we talked about his performance at the double divisional in Woodburn a couple of weeks back. He had out of the, the four races that he entered between stock and super stock at the two divisions, he was semis or better three times. He didn't win. Right. And we talked about how, hey, that's a great weekend. But when you're ch- trying to chase down Greg Stanfield or trying to put a number up for Greg Stanfield to, to try to overcome, it's probably not going to be good enough. Right. Well, McClanahan skipped Sonoma, arrived in Seattle, and again had both cars late in the Northwest Nationals. Lost in the quarterfinals in Superstock. This time he was runner-up in stock. He's putting together a great season, both cars. I still don't think he's the favorite to win either title. Let's talk Superstock first. He's got 593 points, which is a huge number, and he's still got room to improve. He's won three races this season. Nationally is probably where he's got the best opportunity to improve. He's got two races to improve his score and he's improving second and third round losses. So there is a solid chance that Ryan McClanahan's going to improve that 593 point score to maybe 650, like 700 isn't out of the question. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that no one's ever not won the championship when they put up 700. Um, on the division side, he's got a little bit less room to improve again, two races to improve, but on the division side, he's trying to throw away a third and a fourth round loss. So again, if he wins a race on either side, he's going to improve pretty dramatically. Um, like I say, I think he'll exceed 650, 700 out of the, not out of the question, but Greg Stanfield, like it's, it's mirrors what Stanfield did last year, started off red hot, Greg Stanfield's three wins and a runner up, uh, basically all on the division side, saving all his nationals for late in the season, just like he did last season. If he finishes with the same gusto that he started or the same performance that he finished last season with, like he's going to put up a number that is insurmountable. Um, McClanahan's got a shot, certainly, but there is plenty of work yet to be done and he could put up like 680 and it not be enough. Similarly, in Stock Eliminator, uh, to this point, Ryan McClanahan's been in three final rounds. He's won one of them, runnered up two. Solid score that he will undoubtedly improve. He's going to finish in the top 10, maybe in the top five, but between what Brad Burton's doing, Jeff Lopez, who we're going to talk about in a moment, what Jeff Lopez is doing, what Joe Santangelo is doing. Like, as I've said before, I expect all three of those guys to surpass 650. And it wouldn't shock me if this is the year that one of them put up 700 and don't win. 
McClanahan could get to that point, but he'd have to get red hot. And I just, I think it's the season where he could put up like a massive score in both categories and finish like second and third. Like it's bad luck for Ryan McClanahan. And and who knows? He may get hot and these other racers may falter. He may win one. I guess it's, it's conceivable. He could win both of these championships. I just feel like it's a bad year to get hot because the scores in those two classes are going to be off the charts. Yeah. I mean, what incredible potential that he obviously has performed extremely well and put himself in a great position. And the potential score is really remarkable. I mean, it's, it's a winning score yet. If, if Ryan comes up short in one or both of these categories with great scores, all he'll think about is what didn't happen, what didn't go his way in a year that so much did go his way. But that's uh, that's going to be tough for him to take, I'm sure. But what you do, Luke, you, you throw up 650 to 700 and and perform the way he's performed this year and it doesn't get it done. Just chalk it up to somebody had a great season and uh, a little more gooder than yours and you move on. You keep doing what you're doing and you'll get your share of these. But um one hundred percent. I mean, that I, I've said that for years and, and been involved in this, you know, on the winning side and on the losing side multiple times. And all you can do is race your like the goal for me. And I, I think for for anyone serious about chasing a championship, the goal is to put up 650, put up 650. You should win. I mean, that's averaging a semifinal over eight races. Pretty freaking impressive. Right. And 650 historically, it wins way more than it loses. And so if you can get to that plateau and post 650 and it doesn't win, you just go shake the hand of the person that beat it, right? Like there, you got nothing to be ashamed of. Ryan McClanahan's going to put up 650 in super stock. He might do it in stock too. I'm just saying, I don't, this is the year that I don't know 650 is going to be good enough. Yeah. You know, it's certainly looking like that's a, a likely scenario. So again, Ryan is one of the best of the best and and he's performing at a high level and he might beat himself up a little bit, but you can't be upset if you post 680 and don't get it done. It is what it is. Uh, that, that group that he's battling and especially in stock, obviously Stanfield in great position, super stock, but the group he's battling in stock, they ain't going nowhere, Luke. That that group's going to continue every opportunity they get. They're going they're going to do well. So Ryan just got to keep plugging, turn on wind lights. Right, hope let's shift of, gears. Go ahead. Hope, hope one of those guys or more is in your path somewhere along the way. You know, I'm not sure how much improvement Burton Lopez and Santangelo have in them, but I'm sure there is some improvement available. So Ryan got to hope they cross paths somewhere. Yeah, no question. The uh... So let's shift gears a little bit from Seattle to Topeka. So Topeka, doubleheader, Division 5 event. And historically, like it's in the middle of the country. It's in the middle of the season. It's always been a well-attended event. And as a result, like drawing competitors from all areas of the country, all divisions typically. Uh, and as a result, it has a history, has had a history of, of significantly impacting the championship chase. I don't think... In several classes, this year will not be an exception. Let's start off in Stock Eliminator. The winners from the event, Jeff Cheney. Jeff Cheney in Stock. Jeff Cheney's back. Jeff Jeff Cheney is definitely back. Yes. (laughs) I told Jeff early in the weekend, I'm like, man, 
you've driven that stock eliminator car for a decade, but I, I, every time you drive by, I'm like, man, that thing just ain't you. But if he keeps winning while he's in it, I, I'll think of Jeff Cheney as a stock eliminator racer. <laughs> yeah, it's not his bread wins. and butter. No, but he's that's a pretty good Jeff Cheney in a race car, probably bread and butter. Period. He wins race one. Logan Warnett wins race two. Um, as impressive as their performances were, they're not the story. The story is the aforementioned Jeff Lopez, who drove to a runner-up finish to Logan Warnett on Sunday. To this point, Jeff Lopez is yet to stage at an NHRA national event in 2022. He has been to six divisional events. You get to claim five, your best five of eight. I'll go ahead and say it. I'm not sure there's any reason for Jeff Lopez to go to number seven or number eight. At this point, <laughs> his worst claim, the semifinal finish, two wins, two runner-ups, one semi. Pretty solid division score, Big Jed. Very solid. And uh, Jeff needs to be mapping out his uh, national event schedule uh, for the rest of the season i agree and um, putting himself in really good position if, if he performs like that on a national level uh, he's going to be right on brad burton's heels yeah absolutely and to some extent the national event schedule comes to to jeff and and car owner johnny gonzalez that he'll be in topeka in a couple weeks um, there's a national event in Dallas, St. Louis isn't far. They go to Indy every year. So that's four. And I'll just assume, I mean, I know that, that for Jeff, it's difficult to take time off of work and time away from family, but if he leaves Dallas in October as the leader or with a legitimate shot, there's Vegas and Pomona and Johnny Gonzalez going to make him go to Vegas and Pomona. They're going to make a run at this. Um, now similar to what I just said about Ryan McClanahan. Jeff Lopez putting together an amazing score and he could go win a national event and go to like fourth round at two more. And it might not be enough because Brad Burton's put, put up a similar score to this point. Joe Santangelo is on his way to putting up a similar score. Those are three guys really that are, you wouldn't expect them to buckle under this pressure. Like it's going to be a dogfight. I would be shocked if it's not one of those three that hoists that year end trophy. And they're going to all, I think, put up incredible scores. So I, it's going to be, I think of all the sportsman categories, this one promises to be the most fun to watch just because of the season that those guys are putting together individually and combining that with their collective talents. Um, this one, like get your popcorn out for Stock Eliminator. Yeah, you know, Luke, these are the, these are the most talented racers in racing because they're hitting the bottom bulb. And we all know that anybody that does that successfully at a high level is the best racer living. And, uh, this group is very, very talented and it should be amazing to watch them continue to light wind lights as a group. And, uh, along with McClanahan and see who, you know, finally ultimately accomplishes the goal of scoring the most points. Um, this is a, this is an incredible group of racers from a talent and equipment standpoint. And certainly their, their points totals are, are matching that in, uh, in what they've done so far. And I would expect that to continue that that's a, that's a winning group right there. So this is going to be a, a blast to see it play out and, and hear your take on it as we get a little closer. 
I'm going to give you an opportunity, Big Jed, to retract your words. You said something along the lines of the the winner in this class should be the best driver in the world. You you do realize that that none of the three drivers that we talked about hail from the great state of Alabama. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a really good point. Um, so I do retract that somewhat. Uh, they will be nearly as good as some of the best racers in the world. But <laughs> that's a that's a great point. I apologize. No, I, I messed that up. I would have cleaned that up next week, but you gave me a chance to do it this week. <laughs> also, should be noted, none of those three from the great state of Ohio. I regress. Luke, did they run Supergas in uh, Topeka? They did run Supergas in Topeka. This is one. This would be easier to talk about if I did it in the third person, like and can talk as an analyst. But yeah, I uh, I shook things up a little bit in Topeka. I'd say you did. Uh, <laughs> you didn't turn on any lose lights. No, uh, all lights were win lights for two uh, two races. Uh, incredible performance by you. We talked about your Charlie start, Charlie Stewart race car. And we, we talked about how great those are and what they're built off of. But, uh, you, you say you drove like, uh, you were unbeatable one of the days and one day you say you got lucky. So I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that, but to go to Topeka, which is not just across the road from Southern Illinois. That's a, that's a pretty good little ride. And uh, and compete in a double divisional that you say you knew would be attended heavily and have people from all divisions. And there's always championship hopes that are starting to build around this event, particularly in this time of year. So basically throwing some of the best of the best at it and you uh, come out as the victor both days. Uh, that's that's pretty dang stout, but really, really great performance on your part. Well, to my earlier point, Big Jed. It shouldn't be that crazy a drive from where I live to Topeka, Kansas. It's like a seven-hour drive. Uh, my son Gary and I made it 14 because we spent a little over six hours in a rest area trying to burn the motorhome to the ground. Um, <laughs> but once we got that rectified, yeah, it was not bad. No, to your point, I'll um, I'll take some credit for the race one. Um I wasn't just stellar on the tree in late rounds, but I, I felt like I drove as good as I can drive. Um, so I'll, I'll take some credit there. It was one of those elusive days as a, as a racer where you just, I, I just felt like I saw everything really clearly. I, I, I knew who left first every round, um, you know, and, and it's one thing it, you pride yourself as a, as a super class racer, obviously you're, you're leaving together, pride yourself in knowing who got the jump and, and allowing that to lay a blueprint for the rest of the race. Um, but you don't always see it clearly. And, uh, I saw it really clearly for whatever reason, my car was unbelievable, was going what I wanted to be going basically every round. Um, and I just made all the right decisions at the finish line. So yeah, uh, Friday, um, there were a couple of rounds that certainly could have easily gone the other way, but I felt unbeatable, you know, felt invincible Sunday. Um, here's my take on, on doubles as a, as a whole. I think they're awesome. Double divisionals being two races in one weekend. Like, I think it's awesome in terms of bang for the buck. I love the fact that I can, especially in with today's economy that I can make one trip in terms of fuel and run two races, right? That, that makes sense. And, um, and I, and I like the idea to be completely frank, 
that I don't have to waste eight weekends of my life going to NHRA divisional events. Like they're not the most exciting, certainly not the most profitable things to do. If I can cut those four into those, those eight weekends into four, that's a win, right? I like that. Um, and at the same time, I, I'm a little bit torn, like from a points earning perspective, I don't love doubles because I feel like almost inevitably the second leg of the double turns into more of an eighth mile bracket race, which is fine. Like I like eighth mile bracket racing, but the reason that I go to NHRA racing is I like the challenge associated, like all the challenges associated with superclass racing, you know, the, the fixed index, limited time on the racetrack, like, and maybe I'm looking for a reason to feel like I have an advantage, but I feel like experience and confidence and all of that, like having a good combination really comes into play when there's more variables at stake. And yeah, so, you, so what you meant by that, Luke, just in case anybody's wondering, yeah. you, you mean that everybody's dialed in, the racing is super tight and, you know, ev- nobody's searching anymore to try to figure out what they're, what they're yeah. going to be on the tree or what they're going to run. By the time you get to the second leg of a double divisional, everyone there has made minimum three runs. And you figure there's normally a test day before, like most of your would-be competition have made five, six, seven runs down the racetrack. And at that point, like, if you don't have it figured out, you probably shouldn't be there. So it's just easier typically to make good runs in race two. And usually the results show that like it is a bloodbath in race two, right? So that's why I say it turns into more of an eighth mile bracket race. Like it's more of a package race. There's less, um, there's less variables, right? Well, the, (laughs) the elixir to that is take it to Topeka because (laughs) i've been to that event where nothing really changes for four days that was not the case this year jed i uh, for those of you that superclass race you can you could certainly understand this better but i'll put it into a little bit better terms when i ran phil unruh in the final on friday i had 350 in my throttle stop timer okay to go i thought i could go like 987 in the final when I staged for maybe it was fifth round Sunday, I had 318 in the same timer. And what does that mean? Okay, well, my throttle stop ratio is right at two to one. So it means I pulled 32 numbers out of the timer, which should speed me up on the racetrack 16 hundredths of a second. Wow. And I was actually going slower on that run than I was in the final on Friday. The, the air moved in like it was, I've never seen, A, I've never seen humidity grains and vapor pressure numbers like I saw last weekend. Like For those of you that, that have a weather station and follow it, there was one around my grain showed like 180. I didn't realize it went that high. <laughs> I'd never seen vapor pressure start with a one. Like it's always point something. No, it was like 1.1 1. 1 something. And how dramatically it increased my, my wife went up for a round on Sunday morning and she ran and she lost and she was slow and I'm beating myself up. And I'm like, my God, how did I miss the weather? Four hundreds. Well, in the 20 minutes from when she left the trailer to when she got back, it slowed down four hundreds. It was insane. Like I, I've never, I don't know. I want to say I've never seen anything like it, but it's rare. So that actually made for me, like it made race to more like, like a national event, you know, where it's more spread out, where I feel like that experience and, and trust in your gut and finish line ability, like it, it came more to a head, but to that point, 
as good as I drove Friday, like I was super average Sunday. It just, everybody I ran screwed up worse than I did. Like I had a couple of happy accidents. Like there was one round I'm completely screwing up the finish line. And then my guy dropped and I got there and I'm like, oh, perfect. Just the way I drew it up and went 90. Like it just all fell into place. The, <laughs> the, the, the perfect one is the final. I've got, we left even, I thought it was even. I had a 1000th advantage on the tree. And for whatever reason, I've got a bunch of speed on my opponent. I just feel like I'm eating them up. And I'm only supposed to kill a hundredth. I'm trying to go 989. And I'm like, oh, I got room. I'm going to kill a little bit more. So instead of killing a hundredth, I killed 25 thousandths. And my wind light comes on. I'm like, oh, I'm the man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Except I didn't get there first. And I was trying to get there first. And had I gotten there first, I'd have lost. I went a double breakout, three thou behind, went a double breakout, 89, six to 89, three or whatever it was. So looks really good on paper, but I'm like, I know. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have gone. That was that was just done subconsciously. Uh, yeah, you know. I, I knew where ninety was at. I was just exactly. You know, yeah, just being really disciplined, <laughs> really disciplined. Still a great weekend, regardless of of you know whether you were just nasty every round. You you accomplished it and positioned yourself uh, pretty well points wise. It's a. I talked earlier talking about Supercom and how quickly things can change. Um, this is a great. Uh, uh, look at that, right? So coming into this, it looks like Austin Williams is going to run away with the Supergas Championship. And we're coming into three events in Topeka. Well, no one does better at Topeka than Austin Williams. And then this weekend, Austin fails to improve and I win both races. And all of a sudden, the the it's flipped a little bit. You know, I mean, it, it's not over by any stretch. I, I've got a I've got a great score now. Like I think it's fair to say that I'm probably the favorite. Um, that's easy to say from an analyst standpoint, um, among the contenders, I, I have the highest ceiling, certainly, um, as a racer, I just go back to the 650 thing. Like I'm at 600 right now we get to 650 and we'll talk. And basically for me to get to 650, I got to win another race. Um, I have five races left. So that seems possible, right? Win one out of five and I'd be in really good position. Um, the biggest contenders at this point would be Austin Williams, John LaBoose. Um, if that sounds familiar, we were one, two, three last year. So, um, <laughs> and to my earlier point, like things can change so quickly, uh, especially with the double, like think about how good Austin looked coming into Topeka and just, there's, there's, there's more depth, obviously behind the three of us. Um, there's a number of racers that if they went on a hot streak on, um, in which may just be a weekend, you know, at a double, um, would be very much in the hunt or, or could surpass like the number that I have now, similar to Jim Glenn, the number that I have now is not going to win the world championship. So there is work yet to be done. Uh, I'm in a decent position now, certainly a much better position than I was a week ago. I was laughing with, uh, Kevin Brandon. He's like, yeah, and you kind of went from in the conversation to the leader in the clubhouse. And I said, KB, you're being nice. But prior a week ago, I was not in the conversation, right? It, it just, you get, you get two wins and 205 point scores and all of a sudden things look a little bit differently. So we'll see what happens from here. Yeah. Really good point. And, and that's how it can change not only for you, but as you said, someone that's kind of off the radar at the moment. And that's what makes these things so much fun to watch. And, you know, as the, as the weather starts cooling off, these points battles start heating up and uh, that's when it gets a lot of fun. Looking forward to, to watching this one along with all those other great ones. Right, let's breeze through the other classes. I know you've got a bit of a hard out here. I think we can go through this fairly quickly. Top sportsman, um, 
from a from a broad sense, national title perspective, Don Mazir, we said, hey, you know, he's like, he's got a great shot. He's going to have to hit the road. Don Mazur, Don Mazir has been on tour, right? Went to Denver for the national event, made his way from Denver to Topeka for the double divisional. I assume that he is staying in Topeka for the national event. Um, but I think Don would tell us results thus far on that swing haven't been what he'd hoped for. And at the same time, there has been a new contender that has emerged. In fact, I would go so far as to say there is a new favorite that has emerged in top sportsman, Big Jed, and his name is Lance Abbott. We've mentioned Lance a couple of times before because he was red hot on the Division Four circuit um, between the Dallas double and the Tulsa divisional event, I believe. He had two wins and a runner-up, and he just kept rolling with that. He had a semi in race one at Topeka. He won race two. Those are the only five races he's been to. Kind of similar to what we said with Jeff Lopez. Through five events, Lance Abbott's worst finish is a semifinal. Three wins, one runner-up, one semi. He's going to have to hit the road to accumulate a few national events, and that's trickier in top sportsman than any other class, um, top sportsman and top dragster, because they don't race at every national event. But my goodness, um, what a position Lance Abbott finds himself in after attending just five events. Yeah, I'd say it doesn't get much better than that. Obviously, there was a, a little room to improve, but in that category, that's a remarkable results and phenomenal performance. And Lance obviously has positioned himself very well. Um, don't really know who the who the players are there necessarily, but uh, it sounds like he's going to be hard to handle. Yeah, I mean, it's the usual suspects. You got Don Mazir, you got Vince Hoda, you got Ed Olpen. But uh, yeah, right now, Lance Abbott looking strong. And and I don't want to glaze past the race that Lance Abbott didn't win. Alan Firestone did. And that's another perennial top 10 finisher in uh, the top sportsman category. Competition eliminator class that we don't always pay a ton of attention to uh, here on the podcast. But the winners from the weekend were Scott Linder and Troy Galbraith. They emerged victorious. I do think it's worth noting on a, on a sour note, Roger Brogdon's badass Chevy two wagon is destroyed. I don't know if you saw footage from that wreck, but it, I don't know what happened. It made a hard left past the finish line and basically went head on into the wall. My understanding is that Roger's all right, but that beautiful Chevy two wagon is basically no more. I did not see that. And I'm, I'm glad about that. Like that was one of the most incredible works of art I've ever seen go down the racetrack. That thing is unbelievable. And I, I, I hate that so much for Roger. Um, hopefully he can build it back just as it was or better and, and get back out there with it or a, a version much like it. But that's uh, that is sad news. And so Scott Linder and Troy Galbraith are the winners in comp, but from a points perspective, I think the story is more about who didn't have good outings because comp was a stacked deck in Topeka. And I would say that the two title favorites in Chase Williams and David Eaton, they were both on hand. Neither one of them made a final. Williams did manage to improve. Uh, I believe he made the semis in race two. Eaton didn't get out of round two. And with that, like as, as much as a double divisional, a hot streak at a double divisional can improve your hopes, two early losses at a double divisional can really torpedo them, right? So as we talk today, comp is wide open and that's not a class that we're used to seeing a great deal of parity in. I mean, usually you can, by this time of year, you can select, if not one, certainly two or three racers and say, okay, they've distanced themselves from the rest of the field. That is not the case in 2022. Um, when Kevin McKenna and I did our, our 
world championship draft, we kind of chuckled because neither one of us picked Greg Camplain and he was leading the national points by over a hundred points. But we said, look, like that score is not going to hold up and it shouldn't, but as everyone else falters, Greg Camplain's score is looking stronger and stronger. It's a score that wouldn't typically hold up. Um, but in this season, who knows, right? It's going to be interesting to see where we go next in comp eliminator, um, the top dragster on the weekend, John Medlin and Matt Sackman emerged victorious. Unlike other categories, there wasn't anything there that jumped out to me as having a huge impact on the points chase from a national standpoint, super comp winners, similar, uh, Todd McCann, Nick Eisenhower, as we discussed earlier, talking about Jim Glenn, who knows in super comp, I think you could list off 30 contenders and maybe not include who will the eventual national champion. Like it's that wide open. Um, and then super stock Riley Spear continued her recent hot streak. Uh, she won one of the, the no box days at the twin fifties in St. Louis in her super stock car and just continued that role in Topeka winning day one in super stock, put, put together a pretty impressive box score along the way too. Wyatt Wagner continued his mastery of that facility, Heartland Park Topeka with the super stock win in race two. I believe Wyatt was the national event winner at Topeka last season. Um, that's a, that's a close to home for young Wyatt Wagner. And he's had a tremendous amount of success at Heartland park. I'm missing. Yeah, so, no, great wrap up of, uh, of what happened there on the NHRA side and, and certainly what little bit of brackets we got to talk about, Luke, there's going to be on the next show, there's going to be some, uh, some great stuff to talk about some big winners. It's time for the World Super Pro Challenge. I don't know what year this is for that, but it's 20-something, and that is a that is an event that has had longevity like no other in our sport, really. Um, it's truly, it's truly a uh, destination-type event for people to, to go to. It's the, the Ledford family at Mid-Michigan. Um, you know, that one, I'm sure you've been to it many, many times, but that one's just one that people look forward to a lot. We're going to get to talk about that next week, talk about yeah. the results. One of my favorite events on the big dollar schedule still to this day. And now it's, you know, there was a time where there was three fifty granders a year and it was a can't miss. Now there's 30, 50 granders a year. Right. And it just kind of, uh, you would think kind of blends in, but that race doesn't. And that race is just fun. The Ledfords do such a good job. It's a great time of year typically to be in Northern Michigan. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I don't, it, it, I, this just jumped out to me within the last week. I don't know how this happened. Like you've got world super pro challenge, uh, and the TV promotions, hundred grand or at kill care the same weekend, kill care and Stanton aren't that far from each other. I don't know, five hours, maybe uh, that seems odd. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the backstory is there. I assume just given their following, both of those races will do just fine. It just seems odd that they're on the same weekend, but we'll talk about both of them next week. Give us something to talk about. Yeah, there'd be plenty to talk about. And, uh, and I definitely hope both uh, do extremely well. And uh, as far as NHRA racing, there'll be uh, some more events to discuss next week. The Lucas Oil Series goes to ATCO for a Division One event and Joliet for a Division Three event. So there'll be uh, some impactful performers on uh, the NHRA side as well for us to discuss. But that pretty much wraps it up, Luke. Um, uh, you know, a uh, lot of good discussion here, but there's uh there's probably a couple of subjects here that uh that you might want to hit us up on if you're the listener 
But uh, if you got some IHRA news or some more of this drama stuff, I'm starting to kind of love that a little bit. So hit us up there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, you can talk about that or any other thing in the show that you want to discuss and you know, let news us see. or unsubstantiated rumors. We're here for all of it. Yes, yes, we love it all. So anything you got to talk about there, if you want to do it publicly, you can hit us right there on uh, the the public side of the the page, or you can send us a private message and producer Mark will intercept that and let us know what you had to say. Uh, Luke, it's time for shouts. Um, I handled shouts last week and you got a shout out last week. I know, I know we don't go back and listen to the show, you know, after we record them or after our, our partner does it. So I'm sure you hadn't listened, but you got a shout out last week for me and you won twice. So I'm just saying podcast bump goes to pretty much everybody. Okay, let's let's take this week off. Next week, you handle the shouts. Okay, I'm going to go back to Topeka. I need all the help I can get. Yeah, give you another one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to have to check that out and see how that went. How, how did how did you feel about shouts? Oh man, I loved it. I had a great time. I mean, I shouted out uh, you and and producer Mark and our sponsors. I shouted out uh, Beef Hicks. Bo Hicks, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the story, but when, when that uh, the first time I went to Vegas and announced they had him in as Beave, and I thought, how cool is this? I mean, this guy's name's Beave. Beave Hicks is my boy, you know. And then they let me down, told me his name's Bo, but Bo had a pretty good performance uh, the week prior. So I shouted out the Beave. I shouted out Jerry Mathers, the original Beaver on Leave It to Beaver. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had some good shouts. I really thought I, I pulled it off well. I mean, not nearly as good as you, but for me, it was a good shout session. It feels like it had a little bit of a of a like Bob Fry like thread. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's what it was. And, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the the what was the the column that Fry used to write? Oh, my national dragster. But it would always end with that. Like it would just be some string of names that were somehow loosely attached to one another. Yes. I that only, only Bob Fry could come up with. And that's what, that's what I thought about when you, when you bring in, rang in the true blue beef. Yeah, it was really good. I remember that. I'm going to go back and check some of those out, but no, I had a really good time. And uh, even in the intro, I had producer Mark, he come in and, and uh, gave it, you know, when I said, but first, uh, he he come in with PJ North and oh know, was, all right nice. it was it was a you know it was a cheese sandwich I mean it was as plain as you could possibly get it okay he didn't he didn't dress it up he didn't put anything on it he didn't even warm it up <laughs> he just come right in cheese sandwich PJ North so uh, it was it was good it was a great show we we missed you so we're glad to have you back welcome back and uh, are we really skipping shouts well. I'm I'm actually I'm going to throw it back to you if you've got anything, because I was going to take some notes, but I'll be completely honest. My notepad today, it's it's a little rubbery. So it's I got nothing for shouts. <laughs> oh, OK, you can just throw that one back to me. I'll I'll handle the rest of the meat on this one. Um, <laughs> inside joke that maybe one day I'll tell because I've been known to tell some stuff on here I didn't want to tell. But anyway. Guys, that wraps us up. If you like to tweet, Luke and I are both on the Twitter. Please hit us up. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JV11X. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we both look forward to talking to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Racing. Those long nights, early 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.